the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Revelation can be challenging to understand, and as you begin to understand it, it can be a little frightening. That is why there is great comfort here in Chapter 5 of Revelation, as we'll see today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. It is indeed a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And that seems to be what's happening throughout Revelation. Well, here in chapter 5, we get a clear view of the sovereignty of the Lamb, the one who reigns and rules over all. And while there is a final judgment that is taking place in the midst of it all, there is a sovereign Lamb who has been slain for the purpose of redeeming His people providing much comfort in the midst of much turmoil. With more, here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Notice the big point he makes, verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I therein began to grieve greatly. You can certainly sympathize with John here if you are using your imagination. It says, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. Now remember, this is the administration of God's decrees. This is the administration of God's curses and God's promises upon the people of this earth. But it has to be open before anything can happen, much like a perfume bottle. A perfume bottle won't do you much good unless you open the bottle. And the same is true here. The book has got to be opened. These curses and blessings must be administered or the church doesn't have any future and Caesar wins after all. But no one is in a position to open this book. No one among all creation is worthy to open it. And John, who is writing this, is crying like a baby. He's weeping greatly. He wants someone to open this book, but there's no one worthy of even looking in it. What is going to happen to us, he must be saying. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah and the root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. So this elder who is sitting around the throne, but who is this elder? Remember from chapter 4, you have this throne of God in the middle of all things and then the 24 smaller thrones surrounding this throne that... The elders set on, 24 being 
12 patriarchs from the Old Testament and the 12 apostles from the New Testament, all of them together representing the entire church of God in Holy Scripture. They're sitting around the throne of God praising Him, and then one of these elders comes and says to John the Apostle, Stop crying. John, don't, don't weep any longer. There is someone worthy. There is only one person worthy of opening the book and administering its content. And that person is worthy because he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. Now, before we see why those two titles made this person worthy, let's talk just a little bit about these elders. Notice what these elders are pictured as doing in Revelation 4. They are sitting around the throne at the feet of Jesus. They have on white garments. Their sins have been forgiven. They're marching in the train of Christ's triumph. They are living lives of joy, knowing the victory belongs to Christ. They have crowns on their heads. They are exercising dominion over themselves, self-discipline, Discipline over the church and over the community, covenant community. They take the crowns off. They cast them at Jesus' feet because they recognize that anything good they have in their lives, they got from God. They didn't get it from themselves. And they are here singing these wonderful hymns of praise in chapters 4 and 5. And now one of these elders presents Jesus as the one and only one who can open the book. Now, before I go any farther, I pray for Stephen and I, as your elders, that what these chapters say as pictures of elders will be pictured of us. That we will be men in white clothes with crowns sitting at the feet of Jesus. singing his praises and presenting Christ as the savior and the sovereign of the entire world. But now elders are representatives of the church. And this is not a double standard here for what all Christians should be. Elders must be. And the point is what is demanded of elders. My friends is demanded of all Christians in terms of the Christian life. So my prayer is that what is true of these representatives of the church will also be true of all of us in this church. That we will all have white clothes. That we will all have crowns cast at Jesus' feet. And that we will all sing praises to Christ. And that we, will, we offer and present Christ to the world as the only one in the world who is worthy to be our Savior and our Sovereign. So that is a great picture of all these elders. Now there are two things about this man who is obviously Jesus that makes him qualified to open this book, which means he is the only person that can take the decrees of God and cause them to happen. He is the only one who can take this record of God's covenant curses and covenant blessings and cause them to come true 
in the lives of God's people and in the lives of his enemies. Now, what qualifies him? Well, his first title is the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. What? What a description. There's a piece of artwork. Some of you probably know this by the artist Carol Bomer, B-O-U-M-E-R. It is a figurative presentation of the death of Christ. You see the great lion's face, a powerful lion. And beneath the lion is a lamb's head with blood streaming from its throat. Under the blood is the Ten Commandments. So there is this great lion from the tribe of Judah who is also the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and pays the punishment that our law-breaking deserves. Now, where did Carol Bomer and John the Apostle get this imagery? Turn to Genesis 49. Here again you see how the Old Testament explains the figures in the New. In Genesis 49, it is coming close to the end of Jacob's life, and he calls his sons together to pronounce blessings on them and their descendants for the future. It is really a prophecy on what this God-inspired prophet and patriarch foretells his children and their descendants. And he comes to, and it comes to verse 8 in Genesis 49, which is in reference to his son Judah. And Judah was the great, 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 great granddaddy of Jesus. So bear that in mind as you hear these words. Genesis 49, 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, or you can literally say your hand shall seize your enemy by his throat. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garment in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes." His eyes are dull from wine, or they're darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Now, obviously, this is a messianic prophecy of Jesus Christ. It says that one of Judah's descendants will seize all of his enemies by the throat, destroying them all like a lion who crouches down and waits for his prey to come, and then destroys them. To the point that in verse 10, the last part says, And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, that he will destroy the enemies of his people, and the nations of the world shall bow in submission to him. And notice also in verse 10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. Now what is this scepter? A scepter is what a king carried in his hand as a symbol for the rule of government and authority. And he says here that this symbol of government and authority shall not depart from the family of Judah, nor shall the ruler's staff between the feet of Judah until Shiloh comes. Now, 
Who is Shiloh? Well, the word Shiloh means in Hebrew, the one to whom it belongs. So what it says here in verse 10 is, This scepter, the symbol of rule, shall not depart from the family of Judah until the one to whom the scepter belongs comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So there you have reference to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his conquering power over all of his enemies. And this is the lion from the tribe of Judah who overcomes all of his enemies by his death, resurrection, and ascension. And he reigns supreme over them all. Whether it is in an apostate church or an anti-Christian state, Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, has the authority to open this book. So much for them who say Christians should not be involved in politics. But then you have another name for him. And the other name is the root of David. Now, this is really an interesting phrase. The book of Revelation closes with that phrase also. In the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelations, verse 16, Jesus says, I am the root and the descendant of David. Now, it is obvious what he means by saying, I am the descendant of David, because that is what Christ was. He came after David and was from his loins. And God had promised David that someday his kingly descendant would have a kingdom that would be universal and eternal and all-conquering. But what is it to say that he is the root of David? The offspring of David came after David. The root of David was before David or David's origin, the source of David's life. So this title represents the Son of God being God himself. That Jesus is not simply man, that is, the offspring of David, but he is also God, the root of David, the origin of David's life, the origin of the life of all human beings, the origin of the life of everything that happens in this universe. The origin of every event and every detail. The root of David is the one Rome has to deal with. In fact, there wouldn't even be a Rome. Nor would there be Judaism. Because there wouldn't be anything if it were not for the cause and origin of everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see why he and he alone is only worthy of opening this book and administering all of its contents. Now verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. He has seized all of his enemies by the throat and destroyed them by his life, death, and resurrection so as he can open the book and its seals. Now, there you have two central elements of this vision. A book... And Christ as the only one worthy of administering it. Everything that goes on in life is the administration of whatever is in this book by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he took the book out of the right hand of God and he opened it. And whatever happens in your life, 
Whatever happens in the life of the church, whatever happens in the lives of the enemy of the church, it is Christ unfolding what is in that book. And then in verse 6, And I saw between the throne with four living creatures, or the cherubim that we saw in chapter 4, and the elders, a lamb, closely identified with this throne, in fact, they cannot really be separated, as we shall see, standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So now, he is continuing to describe Christ here. And he says that between these elders and this throne, and identified with this throne, and worship later as the one who sits on the throne, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Pointing to the symbolism of the sacrificial Lamb of the Old Testament fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, as if slain. He's standing now. He's not slain any longer. He was slain as the marks of crucifixion seen in his hands, but he's standing now as if slain, now reigning and now ruling over all. We learned that in the last part of the first chapter of Revelation, if you can remember. And then we see he has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, surely you understand that's not literal. Do you think if Jesus were to appear to us today, he would have seven horns and seven eyes in his head? Of course not. There would be nothing attractive about him then. It would probably scare the daylights out of all of us. But the point is, this is not a literal description. Again, all of these things have symbolic significance. So what are the seven horns? We have seen over and over and over again, and we will continue to see that seven is the perfect number, a very sacred number in the Old Testament, and it symbolized perfection and completion. And horns were a symbol of power, mighty power, so that we have in these seven horns on the head of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is a symbol of the mighty, invincible, irresistible power of the victorious, sovereign Christ. There is no power to match his power, not even Caesar's. He also has seven eyes. It says these seven eyes are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. We've seen this figure before. And to say that he had seven eyes is to say he has perfect, complete vision. That nothing escapes his glance. And the Holy Spirit is universal and powerful in his activities. And he was sent from the throne to accomplish the Lamb's royal purposes with irresistible force. The Lamb's kingdom will advance. And nothing can stop it, not even Rome. So there you have the picture of the only one who can open this book and govern history and administer the blessings and the curses upon the church and its enemies. Now, what did he do? Verse 7. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The only person who dared to come before the throne 
and take the book out of God's hand is the Son of God himself. Now notice what happened, verse 8. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Then, once again, they sing a song of praise. And there are, are actually three great hymns that come up here in this chapter. But notice about these elders. They each had a harp in their hands. That is what they use to sing God's praises in worship. So you see, for those dear Christian friends of ours who don't believe in using musical instruments in the worship of God, hear these elders saying the praises of God with harps in their hands before God himself. Golden bowls of incense. Incense in the Old Testament was symbolic of the prayers of God's people as the smoke of the incense goes up into heaven into our God's nostrils. And there was a bowl of incense in the temple. And we're going to see in chapter 8 that incense was also a symbol of the intercessions of Christ for us. It was the sweet aroma of the intercessions of Christ that makes our prayers and intercessions actually acceptable to God. And we will discuss this further when we get to the 8th chapter. So here they are singing these hymns. The first hymn is in verse 9, sung by the four living creatures and the 24 elders who have all fallen down before the Lamb in worship of Him. Now notice they are worshiping the Lamb of God as God. This is a great verse to read to your Jehovah Witness friends, beloved. The Lamb of God is to be worshipped as God because He is God. Having each one a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. All right now. It says the 24 elders and the four living creatures sing a new song. Now this idea of newness occurs time and again in the book of Revelation. The new Jerusalem, a new name, and here a new song. Everything having to do with this new age and new day that the Lord Jesus Christ brought brought on to the scene of history with his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. But what is this new song? What do you think of when you think of a new song? Well, John the Apostle did not think up this phrase himself. He goes back to Isaiah. He goes back to Isaiah 42, and notice what the content of this new song is. Isaiah 42, 8 through 13. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things before they spring forth. I proclaim them to you. In other words, here is a messianic prophecy that a new day is coming. 
And I am prophesying that day before it even happens. So sing to the Lord a new song that fits this new day and these new things. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it. You islands and those who dwell on them. Let the wilderness and its cries lift up their voices. The settlements where Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Seba sing aloud. Let them shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord will go forth. Like a warrior, he will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout, yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 